following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. Arcanum 6, Indecision. We see in this card of the Tarot a representation of how the disciple must face specific temptations when entering into the path of initiation specifically. Those temptations manifest themselves in what we know as the three brains of Gnostic psychology, our intellect, our emotions, and our motor instinctive sexual centers, which we're going to elaborate upon in this lecture. Indecision is a card the sixth arcanum or law of the Tarot, specifically relating to the sixth sephira of the tree of life, Tifereth, the human soul, who, as we see represented here, is within the waters of the card in the bottom third of the major arcanum. He is facing towards a woman on his left with his left hand over his right, indicating that he has fallen. He has entered into temptation, into sin, degeneration. Every disciple who initiates these studies must face precisely this problem. When entering into the path of spirituality, one faces the temptations of the psyche and of the flesh. And one realizes with crude observation of the facts that one is filled with desire, with animality, with negative psychological qualities, which are destructive and which cause harm. The student who begins these studies and attempts chastity realizes that he has many elements, that she has many desires, which are contrary to the will or the endeavor of the student entering into initiation. So the first arcana of the Tarot, we talked about the magician, one who initiates, who begins a path. But while initiating that effort, after working with the priestess of the Tarot, the second arcana, entering to the third, the empress, followed by the fourth, the emperor, the inner being, fifth, the hierarch, and sixth, now, the human soul, Tifereth. This sequence indicates to us a progression of forces that descend down the tree of life 
and the first ten major arcana of the Tarot can relate to the ten Sephiroth themselves. So we discuss the top trinities, especially in depth. How a student of occultism must learn to work with the three primary forces, Keter, Chokmah, Binah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. We also work with our inner Chesed, meaning mercy in Hebrew, the Spirit, the Emperor of the Tarot. And by working with our spirit, we also work with Geburah, the fifth arcana of the Tarot, relating to the law of karma, cause and effect. As we are beginning to understand these principles in ourselves, and as we are understanding our own psyche, we face a great ordeal known as indecision, the sixth arcana of the Tarot, related to Tifereth, which is the very center of this tree of life, the center of the pillar of equilibrium. So Tifereth, the human soul, is in a dilemma of to be or not to be, to be pure or to be degenerate, to follow the light of Christ or to be a demon. And so that ordeal that the student faces is precisely within oneself. As one is generating light, insight, cognizance of the truth, one faces the ordeals and temptations of the mind, precisely through the original sin known as lust, fornication which in these studies we specifically explain is the loss of the energies of sex, whether voluntarily or involuntarily. So fornication comes with the word fornix, to burn, as in an oven, a furnace. Fornix also relates to the archways of many street, uh, over streets in ancient Rome where prostitutes would wait to, to perform their services. And so the word fornication stems from that. It is the prostitution of the soul. Because whenever a person loses their energies, willingly or not, one is committing fornication. One is lost and, and swallowed by the waters of these cards. As this neophyte is. He is facing towards his left because the left-hand path signifies, in uh, certain traditions, the lunar way, the mechanical path, the path of devolution, the path of destruction. So animal ego, desire, is the path of the left in which the soul saturates itself with desire. And the problem with desire is that it is never satiated. One can never fulfill, the, uh, as somehow nullify the wills or wishes of desire because desire is, never, and, uh, desire is insatiable. It wants, it craves for more sensations, more experiences, more objects, more fulfillment. And when that is uh, acquired, one desires more. That desire is strengthened. So it is the absurd thought of many schools to think that by fulfilling and feeding your desire is how you will uh, nullify it, destroy it. But this is ignorant. This is wrong. Because the laws of Manu, one of the ancient scriptures of Hinduism, state that desire is never satiated by uh, feeding it. It is never fulfilled. It always wants more. And so lust is primarily the main defect a disciple faces in this arcanum. The left-hand path, the path of the ego, the path of desire, is mentioned in the Quran. But also we see that the, in this card there is a right-hand path, which we'll be talking about in depth today too. So the left hand over the right is a signification of that the soul is fallen, is facing towards desire. And that his or her mind is so filled with desire 
that he does not turn or look towards his right, which is the virgin, a Christified master, a chaste woman, as we talked about previously, Urania Venus, the Christified soul, the purified soul. She represents for a master, or in this card, the path of the Divine Mother Kundalini, the path of purity, of cleanliness, of rectitude and love. The woman on the right is half naked, demonstrating her, uh, her lewdness, her perversity. She also represents Medusa of the Greek myths, which whenever she would look directly into the eyes of any hero would turn him to stone. And that's a symbol of our own desires. If we identify with our anger, our lust, our pride, etc., we become frozen, habituated, locked in those habits. We become petrified. We no longer have any mobility, consciously speaking. We are stuck in that element. We're frozen by that habit. And so many people live their entire lives addicted to sensation and desire and to lust. And so the student of occultism, of esotericism, who seeks to understand him or herself, faces this problem. He, re he or she realizes that he is filled with these elements that pull him away from practice, from aspiration, from longing, from fulfilling the precepts of any religion. Which is why Paul of Tarsus stated in the Gospels, or better said the Epistles, that which I would not do, I do, and that which I would will to do, I do not. And so there is a war in my members, he says. And the members, of course, relates to the sexual organs. And so that is the primary battle that any disciple faces, is how to be chaste. First, physically, to abstain from fornication, from the orgasm. And then afterward, in a much more subtle level, in dreams, in the heart, and in the mind. So we see that in this card, the Divine Mother on the right, the solar path, the path of the solar initiates to follow the, the will of Christ is beckoning unto the soul who has fallen to enter her way, her path. Because this teaching, as I emphasize, or we emphasize, many missionaries state, is not for angels, but this is a teaching for demons. Beings like us who are filled with desire, who want to change. And so the Divine Mother always beckons and opens her arms to the disciple, the student. Come unto me. Enter into my mysteries, she, she teaches us, in the world of dreams and in meditation. And as the Master Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi taught us, even if you've broken your vows a hundred times, join us. We are not a caravan of despair. So she is on the right-hand path, teaching the initiate to rise above the waters of the card, to transcend the waters of fornication. And so the Quran, as I was alluding to briefly, is a beautiful teaching that teaches us the teachings of the right and the left-hand path. So the myth of how right-handed persons are more virtuous than left-handed persons comes from this teaching from the Quran. This is from Surah 56, Al-Waqiyah, the event, the inevitable, which explains some of the promises made through Prophet Muhammad to his initiates about the path of the solar initiates and also the path of the left. So those on the right hand, who will be those on the right hand? And those on the left hand, who will be those on the left hand? And those foremost, the foremost. 
These will be those nearest to Allah and the gardens of delight. A multitude of those foremost will be from the first generations, and a few of those will be from the later time. The word generations reminds us of Genesis, which the Bible states these are the generations which created the heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, it says, Behi Baram, which is an acrostic for by Abraham. So, Abraham, we mentioned previously, is the spirit, Gedullah. And some initiates on this path will be much more developed of the first generations, meaning the top of the tree of life, Keter, Chokmah, Binah. Others will be from the lower generations, from Malkut, who are learning to ascend for the first time of the tree of life itself. They will be on thrones woven with gold and precious stones, reclining thereon face to face. They will be served by immortal boys with cups and jugs and a glass with, from the flowing wine, we can say, of transmutation, of Allah Kimia, diffuse oneself with Allah, with El in Hebrew, with God. Wherefrom they will get neither any aching of the head nor any intoxication, meaning they don't fornicate. They're intoxicated, or better said, they're enlivened by the wine of transmutation in a marriage, but they're not drunk by it. They don't get carried away. They don't go to excess, meaning they don't eat the forbidden fruit, which is the orgasm. They don't reach that point, but they enjoy that purity of sex so that one does not have any ache of the head, meaning creation of the ego, because through desire, through fornication, is how the ego is born. And therefore no pain is known in the, by these initiates. And fruit that they may choose, better said, fruit from the tree of life, a symbol of how those masters can access any dimension at will. And therefore they pluck the fruit from the tree of life and enjoy those experiences with consciousness and the flesh of fowls that they desire, etc. And there will be ores with wide, lovely eyes like unto preserved pearls, a reward for what they used to do. So if you're not familiar with Islam, the ores are the uh, woman promised to any mujahidun, a warrior who strives in the path of Islam in order to uh, enter the heavenly realms. So the auris are the uh, nirvanis, the chaste woman, like we see in this card. Those initiates, those female masters who are pure in sex, who have no lust. And so they welcome the male and also female initiates into the higher dimensions. But they are pro they're, uh, really uh, inhabitants of those realms, we could say, who are pure and chaste. No evil talk will they hear therein, nor any sinful speech, but only the saying of salam, salam, peace, peace. And those on the right hand, who will be those on the right hand? They will, be, they will be among thornless lot trees, among banana trees with fruits piled one above another, in shade long extended, by water flowing constantly. And in the internal planes, water is a symbol of the sexual energy, which flows in, in the circuitry of the human body, which flows with purity, with peace. And so these trees are, again, symbolic of the tree of knowledge, the tree of life, of consciousness, of the purity and virtues of the soul. And so there is also fruit in plenty, whose season is not limited, and the supply will not be cut off, because that energy is a wellspring of life. As Jesus said, give me water, and I will give you a fountain that flows to everlasting life within myself or within yourself. And verily, or better said, uh, and uh, they will be on couches or thrones raised high, these nirvanis, these women of nirvana. Verily we have created them maidens of special creation, meaning through bereshit, 
through chastity. As we stated previously, Bereshit is an acrostic meaning Berit Esh, pact of fire, created Bara Elohim, the gods, the initiates, alchemy specifically. So these are women loving in age, equal in age, for those on the right hand. A multitude of those on the right hand will be from the first generation, and a multitude of those on the right hand will be from the later times, as we explain the meaning of that. And those on the left hand, who will be those on the left hand? In fierce hot wind and boiling water, and shadow of black smoke, that shadow neither cool nor even good. Verily before that they indulge in luxury, in desires, in chasing after money, in fornication, and were persisting in great sin. And they used to say, When we die and become dust and bones, shall we then indeed be resurrected? And also our forefathers. Say, O Muhammad, yes, verily those of old and those of later times. And all will surely be gathered together for an appointed meeting of a known day. Then, moreover, verily you, er you the erring ones, the deniers of resurrection, you verily will eat of the trees of Zakum, so in Arabia, the trees of Zakum are very bitter. The leaves are very hard to eat, to, to taste, because they're so bitter themselves. And it's a symbol of the klipot, the tree of desire, the, the, the inferior dimensions of the, beneath the tree of life, the infernal dimensions. So verily you will eat the trees of Zakum, bitterness, pain, suffering. Then you will fill your bellies therewith and bring, drink boiling water on top of it so you will drink that like thirsty camels. That will be their entertainment on the day of recompense. So the path of life and death are before any student of occultism who is seeking to be chaste. To be or not to be, said Hamlet. That is the question. Likewise, it is stated in the book of, uh, I believe, Deuteronomy. where Moses pointed out the path of life and the path of death. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. So people interpret this seed to represent the physical people or generations of uh, the Israelites, but that's not the meaning. The word seed refers to the sexual energy the creative seed that can give birth to the tree of knowledge and tree of life inside of us. And so, as we're going to unpack a lot of the symbolism of this card, we find that uh, we have many symbols associated with this, including astrological symbols. We have the star of, uh, symbol of Venus on the left and the bull of Taurus, which reminds us of the mysteries of Mithras, who slayed the bull through the power of his sword, his willpower. So the bull is a symbol of our physical earth, the body, but also lust, animal desire. So we as the great heroes must learn to conquer our own desires if we want to enter the path of the right, the solar initiates. We do that precisely through Venus, the mysteries of the Divine Mother Kundalini, the goddess of love. We also see the symbol of the Hebrew letter Vav, the symbol of the spinal column, of which we're going to explain a lot in depth today. But in synthesis, we find the letter Vav hidden in the sacred name of God in the world of Tifereth. So the mantra we did in this meditation before this lecture was Eloah Va Da'at yod Hey Vav Hey, Goddess of Knowledge, yod Chava. 
Vav is in the middle. Eloa va da'at. Da'at means knowledge. Alchemy. Alakimia. Vav or va is what connects the goddess Eloa, the divine mother, with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we manifest those forces within our spine. And this is how the initiate ceases to be caught within the waters of the card, but learns to stand upright as a perfect human being. So some of the synthetic principles of this card, philosophically speaking, relates to the, the path of love, husband and wife. Precisely in the matrimony is where one faces the worst and most difficult types of desire. Because in the sexual act, those fires are active. One is inflamed with the energies of the Holy Spirit. But if one does not control that power, one gets burned by it. One loses those forces, which are so essential for Genesis. Bereshit, bara Elohim. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. At hashamayim ve'at haretz, specifically. We see that the, the top of this card, we have a hierophant or a hierarch, again, reminding us of Akronim 5, as we explained in depth previously. Is pointing an arrow at the horror of this card, the Medusa, symbolizing how the divine law aims itself against the ego, punishes the ego, because desire can never fulfill the law. The statement of the Telemites, uh, I believe the teachings of Aleister Crowley, state, do what thou wilt, thou shalt be the whole of the law. But this is mistaken, because we have to answer before divinity for all our deeds. So we see that the hierarch of this card, who's an angel aiming the bow and arrow at the Medusa, also shows to us that the law punishes the ego. And until we have no ego, we will be punished. Likewise, it indicates to us that we have to slay the Gorgon, the beast, the dragon, the whore within our psyche, in order to be enjoying the peace of the divine kingdom, as mentioned in the Quran. So these are the two paths, chastity or fornication, the virgin of the whore, Urania Venus or Medusa. Samael and Vayor states that in this card we find some interesting principles. One of them is enchainment, to be enchained. So long as we have lust, we are enchained to desire. We are slaves to desire. And we will be weak. But if we enslave ourselves to our Divine Mother Kundalini, we can become powerful, chaste and pure, divine. It reminds me of a teaching given in, by Puccini in his opera Turandot. Where Turandot, the divine goddess Kundalini, is putting the prince Caliph into ordeals and asks him three riddles that if he fails in answering either one of them, he will die. The third and final riddle he answers, she had asked him, if you obey her, if, better said, if, if she gives you free reign to your desires, she will make you a slave. But if you make yourself a slave to her, she will make you a king. And of course, he answers the riddle, Turando is this woman for whom I will make myself a slave so that she will make me a king, a master, a bodhisattva. But if we give free reign to our desires, our defects, she will enslave us in Klipot. Because that serpentine power of the Divine Mother, when it rises up the spine, is Kundalini. But if it descends, it becomes Kundabuffer, the tail of the demons, the tail of Satan. So whenever a person reaches the orgasm, they feed 
that negative serpent, it, the energy descends down from the spine towards the klipot, the tree of zakum. And so this card also teaches us the path of equilibrium because precisely by facing desire is how we get balance. So many people, they dislike the fact that they have to face all these temptations and defects inside themselves. When they observe themselves and realize that they have a lot of ego, a lot of passion, it can be very disconcerting. Many students run from the teachings because they are afraid to face their own selves, their own defects, because the task seems so daunting, so heavy, so uh, difficult. But Jesus said, my yoke is easy if you really love your being. And so the path of equilibrium is precisely by facing those desires. By facing temptation and learning to overcome them is how we generate light. Temptation is fire. Triumph over temptation is light, is cognizance. So we need to face great difficulties and ordeals so that our egos and defects will manifest, will surge within our three brains so that we can see them. Because if we don't see our own faults, we can't change. We can't enter the higher mysteries if we don't comprehend our lusts, the BMF, the monster of desire, of fornication, if we don't face those elements. We need to face them. So seeing them, one shouldn't be afraid because we created those elements, those egos, those desires. So we shouldn't be filled with fear, but instead we should have comprehension because we need to reach equilibrium. Equilibrium is established within Tifereth. And as I mentioned to you, Tifereth and the Tree of Life is the very center of the pillar of equilibrium, the very center of this map. Because precisely through our heart is how we reach balance, the qualities of the heart, equanimity, understanding. So we must learn to face great ordeals with a sense of patience and temperance, which is not distraught by facing those challenges. So this is the path of equilibrium, which we can achieve by working with our Divine Mother. She is Athena, the goddess Kundalini, who can aid the warrior. So remember that Odysseus, the great hero, could not have achieved anything without Athena. So without her, he would have been lost. But precisely because Athena is the one who guards and guides that disciple, one can't necessarily be diverted. So Samuel Vera also mentions in this card that this is a card of amorous union between men and women and the struggle between love and desire. He also emphasizes that love is something terribly divine and has nothing to do with desire. This may be very difficult to understand at our level because especially for those of us in relationships or having been in relationships, we see that a lot of our uh, constitution is desire. We mistake desire and love very easily. Attraction and, repul- attraction and genuine conscious compassion for our spouse. This is evident by the fact that at one moment we may love our spouse and the next moment we may hate them. Certain egos emerge. This is a constant churning of defects which in a relationship become very difficult because in a marriage is precisely the most difficult ordeals a person faces. So the battle between love and desire is intense. One has to really extirpate desire from the psyche 
And in the beginning of practicing sexual magic, one should not expect to practice perfectly because we have a lot of ego, desire. So we have to begin at our level. But we can really understand divine love in, in certain moments of our life if we meditate on them and really examine how in a given moment we were, have been willing to give our own life for our partner, for one's spouse. Truly someone who's felt that even a love for a child and willing to sacrifice one's life is an example of that type of divine love. But especially with a, one's, between husband and wife, it's much more amplified because they're sharing the creative sexual energy. Some island VR states that this battle is precisely very terrible. Brain against sex, sex against brain. But more difficult and more arduous is heart against heart. And this is very enigmatic. He doesn't explain in the rest of his verses when he quotes this. But I've meditated on this and have come to my own conclusions that, that brain against sex obviously is difficult. When someone's learning to transmute for the first time, faces that ordeal of trying to sublimate that energy and understand it, to know how to use it with equanimity, to find that equilibrium, that balance. And sex against brain is when those temptations surge from the mind to push one to fornicate, to, to indulge in lust. And of course, that type of struggle is very painful, especially for neophytes in the beginning, who are like this disciple in the card, who haven't yet turned to their right to see the divine virgin Mary, Miriam, or the mantra Ram Yo, the divine mother. But the worst is heart against heart. Precisely since in a matrimony, heart is against heart. And if the couple does not work on their, their self-love, their self-desire, their defects, they could be divorced very easy. So that's the most painful ordeal one faces. But if the couple is working to transmute that energy consciously, they can transform desire into love and gain a lot of knowledge, especially if they're facing the temptations of the sexual act. And so the Arcanum 6, as Samael and Vior states, is the supreme affirmation of Christ and the supreme rejection of the animal beast, which we find is represented in the symbol of Solomon, the seal of Solomon. So in this next graphic, we see the Star of David. Very powerful and sacred symbol, which is not understood today. So this seal of Solomon represents the Arcanum 6, precisely because it has six points, which are masculine, and six obtuse angles between each point, indicating the number 6, but also 6 plus 6 is 12, which reminds us of Arcanum 12, which we'll talk about in the future, the Apostle, sexual magic, alchemy. The Seal of Solomon is better known as the Star of Bethlehem, which is indicated in the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 16. I am the bright and morning star. This is the star of nativity that blesses any initiate who enters into the Venusic initiation, the path of Venus. So we talked about in, the, in our lectures on the perfect matrimony, how a disciple must learn to, through a marriage, raise the sacred kundalini fire up the body of Malkut, the body of Yasod, the body of Hod, the body of Netzach, in the body of Tifereth. So by reaching that fifth initiation of fire, one becomes a master of major mysteries. 
each of these lower bodies constitutes an one in initiation. So we have five when we reach Tifereth, the fifth initiation of fire. If that student, or better said, that master has sacrificed himself for humanity, he may be granted the incarnation of Christ and therefore receives what is known as the Venustic initiation, the initiation of Venus, in which Chokmah, Christ, as we see on the top right of the tree of life, descends down into Tifereth, into the heart, in order to guide that initiate so that they may learn to really fulfill the Arcanum 6, which is the over, better said overcoming indecision. But don't think that indecision is something that we face once and that we're done with. But masters face this ordeal. And this is a, something we'll see in, uh, when we do a meditation at the end of today on um, the symphony of Tchaikovsky, Sixth Symphony, which is about the Arcanum 6, the Arcanum of the Lovers. But this is the star of Bethlehem. Bet meaning house, Lechem meaning bread. The bread of Christ, the sustenance of the Divine Lord who enters into the heart of the penitent masters who've reached the, the Venustic initiation. The Seal of Solomon also represents what we call the Ein Sof Aur in the Kabbalah. So above the Tree of Life, above Keter, we have three secret Sephiroth spheres which are above the Tree of Life, above Keter. Ain means nothingness. Ain Sof means limitless. And Ain Safor means limitless light. So Christ is the Ain Safor, the limitless light, who can descend down to the initiate who's been prepared through working with alchemy, the path of the lovers. So the Ain Safor is what we call the central sun, where all of the light of the cosmos emanates, physically but also spiritually. All the masters in the higher dimensions are ascending towards that light. And if we have the blessing to invoke masters in the internal planes, if you wake up in the astral plane and call upon any master in the name of Christ, by the power of Christ, for the majesty of Christ, if you look in the atmosphere, you can see the clouds part and you can see the Ein Safor, the limitless light, which is tremendous, limitless. And all the angels ascending towards that throne of divinity, which is the, the absolute. And so you can invoke any master to come down from that light, such as in that case, that experience, I invoked Samael and Vior. He came down and te taught me a few things which are, I never have forgotten. Very valuable for my development. But uh, that limitless light is the Ein Safor, Christ, which is yet undifferentiated, hasn't manifested into the physical plane. But that light, as it descends down the tree of life, enters and becomes the different Sephiroth when that light materializes, when it becomes manifest in those different realms, which we'll talk about at the end of this lecture, the four worlds of Kabbalah, which explain this very well. But the Star of Bethlehem, the Seal of Solomon, is a profound magical symbol which indicates to us the path of initiation. It also represents for us um, how the Zodiac is generated. Because... The six points and the six obtuse angles refer to the 12 zodiacal signs. And the two triangles represent for us the union of man and woman, which we can skip ahead to the next graphic, is represented by the phallus, 
the two testicles on the right, as well as the ovaries and the vagina on the left. You combine those two triangles, and you have the Star of David. David is an acrostic, as we've explained previously, but I'd like to refresh your memory about this. Dat is in the throat, relating with the first letter, Dalet of David. The letter Vav is in the heart, Tifereth. So I know in this tree of life we don't have the sphere of Da'at mentioned, but Da'at is in the throat, beneath the top trinity. We have Vav in the heart, which is the spinal column, the seat of willpower, the staff of the magicians. We have Yasod, the final Dalet, relates with the last letter of Yasod. So that's an acrostic meaning of David. Da'at, Tifereth, Yasod. So if you want to become a king, work with sexual magic, with your spinal column and control yasod, your sexual energy. And that is how you become, uh, you fulfill, better said, the seal of Solomon. And we know that from Solomon, or better said, from David emerges Solomon. So we have three kings mentioned in the Bible. You have uh, Saul, Sheol, Saul, David, and then Solomon. And these are represented by the three magi who visited the star of Bethlehem, the nativity of Christ. The black king, Saul, is a master who has ego, who is still working for his perfection. You have David, who is a master with no ego. He is a white king, pure. And the, but the gold king emerges, Shalaman, the solar man, through the process of resurrection, which is much more advanced. And so, in the words of a master by the name of Hilarion IX, whom Samuel quotes, this master was known as Paul of Tarsus. So the sacred name of Paul of Tarsus is Hilarion IX. He stated that these two interlaced triangles are two shuttles with which the ineffable mystery of eternal life is woven or unwoven. It's easy to see that in certain images too, not necessarily in this one, how the two triangles weave into each other and constitute a continuum. And a continuum is uh, known as Tantra in the East, in Sanskrit, a flow of energies. The conservation of that sexual energy, which flows within the initiate as a fountain of life, which is eternal. The Arcanum 6 also relates to the star of David, but also to the uh, 24th Arcanum of the Tarot, which is uh, uh, in in our deck known as the Weaver. It's interesting that the 24th Arcanum, the weaver, it shows a woman who is weaving clothes in an Egyptian style and relates to Arcanum 6, the lovers. 4 plus 2 is 6. You add the uh, sum of the digits together. The 24th Arcanum is precisely the work of creating the solar bodies, which are the vehicles of tantrism with which an initiate can be vested so as to incarnate the Lord of uh, the Divine. The axiom related to 20, the 24th Arcanum states, My loom is weaving net after net, a cloth for my honor and clothes for honor. Each card of the tarot has its transcendental axiom, a, sum, a summarization of its principles, what it means. Samael and Vior states that the 24th mystery contains the sixth mystery, the path of the weaver of creating the solar bodies, is a path associated with the lovers between husband and wife. 
and matrimony, alchemy. If you wish to create the solar vehicles in a perfect matrimony between husband and wife, you must learn to conserve those forces and your divine mother will weave the garments of the soul within you. Much like a chick emerges from a, the shell of an egg hidden within the dark until when that when that um, when those initiations are fulfilled they become manifest this reminds us of the story of Penelope in the Odyssey how when the, she was waiting for the return of Odysseus back to Ithaca she was weaving and unweaving a garment and there were many men suitors lustful men who sought to cohabit with her and to marry her stating that Odysseus was dead, being 20 years after the battle of Troy, in which he has not returned home yet. It's a symbol of initiation. How Penelope, our own soul, our divine mother, we could say, is weaving those garments, and yet she unweaves them any time the initiate falls, loses the energy. And of course, she, the soul faces this temptation too. So we have the divine mother weaving those garments. And yet, we have the soul too who is struggling in which uh, the suitors are tempting, the mind is tempting one to leave the path, just as the sirens were tempting Odysseus to go overboard and to shipwreck on the sea. And the seal of Solomon, the top trinity, the upright trinity represents Keter Chokmah Binah, as we said, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The lower trinity represents the three traitors of Haram Abif, as well as the three traitors of uh, Christianity, and these three traitors are something inside. They're not outside. They're within our psyche, within our mind, our heart, and our body. In the Christian gospel, we have Judas, the demon of desire, who is our ego of lust within our motor, instinctive, sexual brain. That desire or ego that trades the Lord Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And again, 30 relates to the three brains. Silver relates to the moon, mechanicity, things that really are of no consequence, really meaning the orgasm, desire to sell the Lord for money, meaning uh, the sensations of a few moments which leave one depleted and spiritually empty. We have Pilate, the demon of the, uh, the mind, who always washes his hands clean, saying, I am just, I did nothing wrong, I am pure, I am not guilty of this man's death. And we have all these defects of the mind that always justify themselves and never take responsibility. But the worst is, of course, Caiaphas, the demon of evil will, who relates to our heart. So again, going back to that statement of Samael and Vior, brain against sex and sex against brain is difficult. But what is most painful is heart against heart, especially when you love your being and you have those experiences and know that your being is guiding you. And yet you have these elements which are destructive, which are blasphemous, which want to go against the light. And so you have to fight very hard to become purified of that. Because Caiaphas dresses himself as a master in a robe of holiness, of justification, but does not accept the Lord inside. doesn't mean outside. It means in our psyche. So Caiaphas is that blasphemous evil will that always seeks to do its own will and does not want to follow the divine forces. We have those elements inside. So the passion of the Christ is something inside of us. 
And while Jesus of Nazareth lived this doctrine in his body of flesh and bones, we had to live this within psychologically. So these are ordeals we face. So you see in these images, we have Pilate saying, Ecce homo, behold the man, after his 5,000 flagellations, his whips, which again reminds us of our kind of five, to be whipped by karma, to be punished. So Christ enters the soul in order to redeem it. And, of course, the soul has to be lashed and beaten and to enter into suffering. Not physically, but psychologically. We face ordeals in which we suffer a lot. But Jesus, and uh, better said, Christ through Jesus represents for us how the venusic power of the Lord, the power of love, enters Tifereth, the heart, in order to achieve its salvation. We have Judas, the image of the garden, Gethsemane on the top right. And we have uh, Caiaphas on the bottom this trinity is also represented in Egypt as a pop by high and nip. But if you're familiar with the tr- tradition of uh, Freemasonry, we find Sabal, Ortoluk, and Stokin, those who assassinated the architect of Solomon's temple. So that architect is our own being, our innermost God, whom we have killed through desire. Now that Lord has to resurrect inside. And we have to learn to uh, resurrect the Lord within us. Uh, one th- other thing is that Dante, in his Divine Comedy, depicts the three traitors within hell being devoured by the mouth of Lucifer in the infernal dimensions. And so this is a direct correlation, all these examples, with the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the, out of the mouth of the false prophet. So these are elements we have inside. As Friedrich Nietzsche, who I'm going to read an excerpt for, me, for you today, stated in his Thus Spoke Zarathustra, that you will become a heretic to yourself and a liar and a soothsayer and a fool and a villain. Because you're going to look inside and you see you have all those elements that need to die that need to change, that need to be eliminated. But he says, how could you wish to become new unless you first become ashes? Meaning you die to all that in order to resurrect like the phoenix bird, pure in its original pristine state, but also with gained experiences. This triangle of the tree of life, I better said uh, the seal of Solomon, not only represents the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but also the innermost, the mind, and the personality. Or better said, the triangle below, excuse me. The top triangle represents Keter Chokmah Binah, the triangle pointing up. The triangle pointing down represents the innermost, the mind, and the personality. The innermost is the power that governs. The mind is the power that deliberates. And the personality is the power that executes, that does. When the innermost, the governing principle, our spirit, cannot control the mind and the personality, that mind and personality, they fracture, they separate, and they enter into the infernal dimensions to devolve. But if we feel that longing inside psychologically to change, it means that our inner divinity, our innermost God, is fighting to push us to control the mind and the personality. The mind that thinks and learns to deliberate, to plan action, and the personality is the one who executes. So these are qualities within us that we have within which have to be synthesized and controlled by, again, the uh, Trinity pointing above.
So when we think about the Seal of Solomon, we have to remember and visualize it in relation to two other symbols, which is the, uh, the Tao cross as well as the sign of the infinite in the very center of this glyph. The cross of Tao or Tav in Hebrew is the seal of the covenant of God. We talked previously in the Arcanum 4 how Aleph Tav are the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The Tao or Tao cross, the Egyptian cross, symbolizes the, uh, we could say, the seal of the covenant of Elohim with humanity. The sign of the infinite is also represented here and parallels the sign of the Ankh or the, uh, the Tao cross. And these two cro- crosses, or better said, symbols represent masculine creative energy, the masculine principle, the phallus. And we talked about the eyes of Ra in Akarnam 5, talking about the eyes of divinity that always see, the sign of the infinite. And we also have the Tao cross, which relates to our heart, the sex, the shoulders, but also our mind. So we have the sign of the cross we do in Gnosticism, was we say Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the head, the heart, and sex. And after pointing towards sex, we raise it to our shoulders because we're sublimating the energy to our heart. It relates to Venus. It's the Tao cross. Yes, it is. Because Venus and the sign of the infinite can also be masculine and feminine. So we need two principles, two polarities, which again are represented by the symbol of Abraxas, who has two serpents for his body or his, his feet. These two serpents remind us of the power of Kundalini, the serpent of brass that healed the Israelites in the desert of the wilderness, then meet Bar. But then we have also the tempting serpent of Eden, the Kundabuffer organ, the tail of Satan. So again, Moses, I'd like to remind you, was teaching the parts of his soul, the Israelites, the path of blessing and how to avoid the path of cursing, of degeneration, the path of death. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you because anyone who enters this path for the first time, the law is against you. It says, you've sinned, you wish to, but do you wish to return to the light? We welcome you. But first, you have to pay your karma, pay your debts. And Moses states that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose the life that, that, that both thou and thy seed may live. So Moses is a symbol of our willpower. He came, the physical master Moses, to represent this principle within us. He must liberate all the parts of our soul, of Israel, Isis-Ra-El, Isis, the divine mother, Ra, the solar god of the Egyptians, and El in Hebrew meaning God. So our willpower must learn to control our lust, must transform the waters to create Genesis, to create life. As we see in these uh, image of husband and wife with their sexual organs. And it's precisely through working with the sign of the infinite within a matrimony is how one reaches the infinite. Because all the power of divinity is within the power of sex. We can also impose on the center of these uh, seals of Solomon the symbol of Mercury as well. It would be appropriate. 
The symbol of Mercury, as we explained, represents the creative sexual energy, which we must learn to sublimate and control. These are the waters of life. But of course, the process of learning to control those waters is difficult because of what we call the dragon, the beast, the behemoth. So that dragon, in many mythologies and many legends, has been taught in children's stories as a form of entertainment. But it's something symbolic. That beast, the dragon, is a monster that controls the air, the water, the fire, and the earth. And if you're familiar with our lecture on the emperor, we talked about the four elements. And also the magician card must learn to control those four elements in order to become a dragon of wisdom. So our inner spirit, our magician, can become a white dragon. But our ego is a, can, is a black dragon because our desires also know how to control the fire, air, water, and earth. And to remind you, the air represents the mind. Fire represents the heart. Water represents sex. And earth represents our physicality. These are the elements of alchemy that we must learn to control and to give shape to within our own spiritual microcosmos. Excuse me. By controlling those elements, especially within a, an alchemy specifically, it's how we give birth to the light. Because when a husband and wife are united, their three brains are joined. They're not two separate individuals anymore. They're one. El in Hebrew means God. Eloah means goddess. Elohim means gods and goddesses. Man, woman. And as you remember from the opening verse of Genesis, Bereshit bara Elohim. In wisdom, or in the beginning, Elohim created. At hashamayim ve'at haretz. Shamaim is the heavens, of course, relating to da'at, sexual knowledge, the fiery waters of sex, which we learn to control to give genesis, to give birth to the soul. And the earth, of course, is haretz, as we talked about previously. And one thing I'd like to relate to you is a quote from Samael and Vior. He states, the synthesis of this card, that the alchemist must kill desire in the very shadow of the tree of desire. So I'm going to insert my, the Arabic word zakum, he didn't use the Arabic here, but he's talking about the tree of desire, which is our lust, which the mystics of Islam speak abundantly about in their commentary, but also we find in the Quran, especially. So we talked about fornication and its definitions. And I'd like to emphasize to you the importance of this from a teaching that Paul of Tarsus gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Or as Leviticus teaches, a man or, or a woman who has an emission of semen must learn to bathe themselves in water and will be unclean until even the evening, meaning the night in which you face all of your defects that you created through desire in the infernal dimensions. That's the night. Daytime, Kabbalistically speaking, represents experiences in the heavenly dimensions. But as we taught in the magician card, if you want to ascend, you have to descend first. Face your own evilness and conquer them. And so fornication not only occurs physically, many students and people, lay people believe that fornication only has to do with having sex with someone outside of one's marriage. But that's an a a, a etymological game that people play 
to avoid the real meaning. Fornication, as we said, is uh, the orgasm. So why would Moses give the sixth arcanum, the sixth law, thou shalt not fornicate, relating to the, to the heart, tifereth, and then the ninth law, the ninth commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. If people think, if it's as people think, then why would Moses give those commandments twice? The same thing, but they're different because we commit, adult, we commit adultery in the sexual organs, but we also commit fornication in the heart. When we look at a woman or a man of the opposite sex, we feel desire. That is, a, that is the difficulty that any student faces, especially when they're learning to transmute their energies, which beautifully in his Thus Spoke Zarathustra, Friedrich Nietzsche explains. He gives a chapter here called On Chastity. This is a translation by Walter Kaufman, which I think is uh, the, my favorite translation of this. But the problem is that the word chastity has many different meanings than how we teach here. So I'm going to translate this to state abstinence. Because many people hear of chastity, they think it means to not have sex. But in Gnosis, to be chaste means to be pure, even with, if one is in sex or out of it. But the definition here is abstinence. And many people have this problem wanting to, in many spiritual groups, wanting to be abstinent, thinking that it's going to take them to God. Of which Nietzsche, being a, he was a, an initiate, who knew the path of Christ very well, the path of the Superman, teaches. So he teaches many things here relating to the Sixth Arcanum, which I find very relevant to show you. I love the forest. It is bad to live in cities. There too many are in heat. Is it not better to fall into the hands of a murderer than into the dreams of a woman in heat? So who is that murderer? Your divine mother, the virgin. So we again look back at the image of the card of the tarot. We have the divine mother on the right, or on to the initiate's right. And then we have the dreams of the woman in heat on the left, the path to the left. Our divine mother is a murderer. She murders the ego so that we can, our, spirit, our soul can have life. So the ego must die if we want to have a spiritual life. And behold these men. Their eyes say it. They know of nothing better on earth than to lie with a woman. Mud is at the bottom of their souls. And woe if their mud also has spirit. So he talks about spirit in this book, meaning people who develop the spirit inside, who are initiates. And these normal men, these men or women who engage in sex, they sexual act with desire are full of mud. They're filthy. And if they have spirit inside, meaning they had some level of development in the past, but they fell, is even worse is very bad. Would that you were as perfect as animals at least, but animals have innocence. So would, you, would that you were as perfect as animals at least, but animals have innocence. So in the animal kingdom, they fornicate, but they don't have the intellect. They don't have the mechanism that will tell them that fornication is wrong. So in their level, they're evolving. They're still learning to become, in the development of the soul, the transmigration of souls, to become a humanoid being, an intellectual animal. Because when that animal soul gains an intellect for the first time, becomes an intellectual animal, which is all of us. We are animals with intellect. We think, we rationalize, which is why Jehovah Elohim in the Bible gave to Adam, the human being, the sixth commandment. You see all the trees of this garden, but uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you don't touch it. Don't eat the fruit of it. Because if you do, you will die. Meaning, our count six, 
thou shalt not commit fornication. So animals are, pr- are innocent, at least. They don't know good and evil. But we do. We have the intellect, which can rationalize. So Nietzsche says, do I counsel you to slay your senses? I counsel the innocence of the senses. So do I counsel you to slay your senses? Many people think that they have to repress desire like it's something filthy. Many yogis and practitioners or monks who read the Gospels that state one must be chaste, they think that it means to be abstinent. And so they repress their desires and their desires and don't address the issue. So Nietzsche says, I don't counsel you to follow that path. Instead, I counsel you to be innocent in your senses. Meaning if you're married, be chaste, be pure. Practice sexual magic with your wife, with your husband. But be innocent in your senses. Don't be, don't be lustful. Do I counsel you to chastity? Or better said, do I counsel you to abstinence? Abstinence is a virtue in some, but almost a vice in many. They abstain, but the bitch, sensuality, the female dog of lust, leers enviously out of everything they do. Even to the heights of their virtue and the cold regions of the spirit, this beast follows them with her lack of peace. Meaning any initiate who's climbing the mountain of initiation has their, their dog, their lust following them because that ego belongs to them. And you may be having experiences in the higher dimensions, but still you're dealing with lust, with egos of fornication. Which is what Nietzsche talks about in his next few verses. So this beast follows them with her lack of peace. And how nicely the bitch sensuality knows how to beg for a piece of spirit when denied a piece of meat. So you deny the body the carnal satisfaction of lust, the flesh. But then the desires of the mind says, well, I want to look at the opposite sex to admire their beauty. And of course, lust has many forms of logic that it gives them, that pushes in the mind. It says, well, I must learn to look at women with, with purity. But there are desires there. If we really examine the sexual center, we can see that if there's a morbid excitement there. Obviously, it's uh, that desire which is begging for a piece of spirit, that impressions that enter the mind. Because Jesus said, thou shalt not commit adultery. But truly, if you look at a woman or man out of lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Do you love tragedies and everything that breaks the heart? Meaning the ego of lust creates so many tr- problems in relationships. Nietzsche says, but I mistrust your bitch. Your eyes are too cruel and you search lustfully for sufferers. Is it not merely your lust that has disguised itself and now calls itself pity? In this parable too I offer you, not a few who wanted to drive out their devil have themselves entered into swine. Going to your point about the priests and clergy, they want they flagellate themselves, they want to overcome their lust, they're repressing the desire but not comprehending it. They get devoured by that element. They descend. They become swine themselves. Like uh, Klingzor in uh, Wagner's opera, Parsifal, which we'll be watching at one point and giving a lecture on. So those for whom abstinence is difficult should be counseled against it, lest it become their road to hell, the mud and heat of their souls. So people read this and then they say, well, does it mean that one get married and continue fornicating? doesn't mean that. He's talking about something implicit here. Transmutation, alchemy. Because that's the higher path. Because to be married and fornicate is, is bad as to be single and fornicating. So those for whom uh, 
abstinence is difficult should be counseled against it, meaning like Paul Tarsus states in the Gospels, get married, get a partner, and work on alchemy. Because with that fire, you have a lot of energy. You need to supplement it with a lot of exercises like runes, pranayama, mantras, transmutation. Get that energy flowing and circulating so that it does not easily pull you down, downward. you got to control the waters. So Nietzsche says, do I speak of dirty things? That is not the worst that could happen. It is not when truth is dirty, but when it is shallow, that the lover of knowledge, Arcanum 6, is reluctant to step into its waters. So many people get scandalized, especially from Samael and Vior, when he says his teachings on alchemy. He, he explained that many people are railing against me because they think I'm degenerate, that I'm too vulgar when talking about sex magic. That's because that's all those people have in their mind is that lust, that's how they picture sex. Therefore, Nietzsche says, do I speak of dirty things? Do you think I'm being dirty? It doesn't, it's not when truth is dirty, but when it is shallow and superficial that, it, that, it, that the lover of knowledge doesn't want to enter that path. So people who enter Gnosticism are those who don't want to be shallow anymore, but to step into the waters of profundity, of Genesis, Bereshit, of alchemy. Verily, some are chaste through and through, or abstinent through and through. They are gentle of heart, fonder of laughter, and laugh more than you. They laugh at abstinence too and ask, what is abstinence? Is abstinence not folly compared to sexual magic, we could say? Yet this folly came to us, not we to it. So, we didn't, so many people, they enter Gnosis, they're single. So they got to begin where they're at. If they're married, then you work with your partner. You work with your karma. So this abstinent people say, this folly came to me, to us. We didn't willingly choose it thinking it was a path to the higher dimensions, but or the, really the highest attainments of initiation. But instead, it came to us because we're not married yet. Therefore, we offered this guest hostile in heart. Now it dwells with us. May it stay as long as it will. Thus spoke Zarathustra. So let it stay as long as it will, meaning until one is given a partner, according to the will of divinity. Which I'd like to quote for you, uh, a quote from the Quran. Surah 24 Again, relating to Arcanum 24, the weaver. This is known as the Surah of the Light, Al-Nur. And those who cannot find a match must keep chaste until Allah grants them sufficiency out of his bounty. This is the 33rd verse. 3 plus 3 is 6. 33 relates to the 33 medulla of the sp uh, spinal medulla. The 33 degrees of masonry. Which one, if you raise the fire up the 33rd degree, means that you become a master of that level. But... The thing is, in order to reach that point, you have to control the sexual energy because the sexual fire is dominated by the fires of the heart, as Samael and Vigor states. And the thing is, uh, if you want to develop the light, like Surah Al-Nur, you have to learn to work with your spinal column. Again, verse 33, the 33 vertebra. If you can't be, if you don't have a match yet, a partner, then be single until you, God gives you one. And Surah 24, again, is the weaver. Because we weave the light, the solar bodies, through a marriage. Some other interesting relationships of the numbers are uh, the number six related to each of the three brains. The three brains... 
If you transpose the number six on each of them, it forms six, 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 the mark of the beast, the mark of the animal ego. Because the ego that is caught within that desire is facing to the left, is dominant in all our th- three brains. So that symbol or that meaning of Book of Revelation, that the, infamous, the iniquitous ones receive the mark of the beast, relates to that. Number 666, when all three brains are identified with lust. So we have to learn to face temptation and to control the ego, especially when, within sexual magic, and to steal the fire from the devil with their own lust. I mean, that we have that energy, that fire inborn in the sexual act, but learn to transmute it into light, cognizance. Yes, or the beast is number six in each of the three brains. Add six plus six plus six, you get 18. Arcanum 18, which is twilight, which we'll talk about in the future. So the three brains are the intellectual brain, which is our mind, where we process thought. We have the emotional brain relating to our heart, which is the emotional center. And then we have the motor instinctive sexual brain, movement relating to the top of our spine, uh, instinct relating to the bottom of our spine and then the sexual organs relating with sex. So this is how our psyche is, is constituted in which we process our thought, feeling, impulse. And so the three brains is the, the machinery of our body, of our psyche, in which we manifest the forces of those, the top trinity of the tree of life. But let's look at some mysteries pertaining to the Hebrew letter Vav, because we've talked a lot about the spine. The Hebrew letter Vav is profound. So in introducing each of these Hebrew letters, we provide an excerpt from the book of Psalms. So in this verse, I believe chapter 119, verses 41 through 48, each verse begins with the letter Vav. Let your mercies come to me, O Yod Chava, through your salvation according to your word. And I will answer the word to my rebuker, for I trust in your word. And I do not deliver the word of truth from my mouth still, for on your judgments greatly I have hoped. And I shall keep your law continually forever and ever. And I will walk in the, in the wideness or at liberty. For with your commands I seek. For your commands I seek. And I will speak of your testimonies before the Malachim, the kings. And will not be ashamed. Meaning I will testify before the, the initiates of the White Lodge. Saying I no longer have ego. For at that point one is purified. And I will not be ashamed. Meaning ashamed of one's actions. And I will delight myself in your commands, which I have loved. And I will lift up my hands to your commandments, and I will meditate on your statutes. Literally, the letter Vav represents and. It means to conjoin, to join together. From the base of the Vav, we find the sexual waters. Because the waters of life, Mem, rise up the Vav, the spinal medulla. The letter Vav also relates to the ability to hear the verb, the word, to hear. And it comes to my mind an experience I had many years ago when thinking about this Hebrew letter. Especially in this verse and hearing the testimonies of the Lord. Hearing the word and then acting upon it. I was uh, brought in the astral plane to Egypt where uh, I won't explain everything that I witnessed there, but I was invited into the temples of the White Lodge there in that pyramids of Giza. And I saw, they instructed me, a group of young children were 
practicing sign language and we're learning from or some, from a teacher. I didn't understand the experience at that time, but I meditated. I realized that they were showing me that if you want to really work with uh, this teaching, you must learn to uh, learn to pronounce the verb, the sacred word. Because at this level, we symbolically we speak sign language. We don't really pronounce the word. We may communicate with our language, but it doesn't mean we have Christ incarnated. So we need to learn to become children in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. And we learn to hear the word precisely through the vav, the spine. Because it is through the spinal column in which we receive the word of God. Because the word rises up, the son of man rises when we uh, practice sexual magic. Ibn Arabi, he's a great Sufi master. He's known as Shaykh al-Akbar, the greatest of Sufi teachers. States in his Meccan revelations that the letter Wav, or better said Vav, the Arabic Vav, as well as the Hebrew Vav, are synonymous. You can't separate the two. Arabic and Hebrew are integral. He says that Vav connects one from the earth to the angels. So your Vav is how you connect with the Elohim. Before they let you make And so remember that uh, Moses wielded a staff, a vav, that transformed into a serpent. And this serpent devoured the inverted serpents of the black magicians of Egypt before Pharaoh. To speak. So that's how you pronounce the So sign language is a... Interesting, but as a symbol, very profound too. So um, it's precisely through, as we mentioned, the vav, the spinal medulla, or better said, through the heart, that we control the fires of sex. Because if you see in this tree of life, in this uh, second to last graphic, tiferet is above yesod. And through da'at, vav, and yesod, this is where he formed King David. Samuel and Vior states that if the alchemist spills the cup of Hermes, the cup of, cup of science, the sexual matter, that energy descends down the spinal vertebra, one, one or two vertebra according to the magnitude of the fault. It depends on how intense that loss of energy is. But precisely through the valleys of the heart too, Tifereth, where we can raise those power, that energy. And so Moses represents that willpower, Tifereth, that dominates the lower bodies and follows the will of the divine above. So the one thing I want to emphasize too is the four worlds of Kabbalah, especially in relation to the Hebrew letter Vav. So we have the tree of life represented by four sections. One way we can look at the four worlds of Kabbalah is mapped in this manner. Atiluth means, or better say it's the world of archetypes, principles, a world of potentiality in which energies of Christ are not yet manifest within the initiate. So the top trinity represents the world of Atzilut, Keter Chokmah crown, wisdom, understanding, or intelligence, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. In the world of Bria, in creation, the world of Bereshit, we give birth to the soul. We begin to create. Bria is a world of alchemy, 
In Bria, Bereshit, again, beginning with the letter Bet, can be translated as in wisdom Elohim created. Bar Ashit, Bet means wisdom as well as house. Bria is the world of creation in which we find Tifereth is in the center of equilibrium. And Tifereth is the sixth Sephirah relating to the sixth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, Vav. And so Vav, the spinal column, is where we can give birth to the soul. As we find even in the name Tifereth, if you look at the Hebrew letters, you have Tav, Pei, Aleph, Resh, Tav. It's missing the letter Vav in the middle. And if you add that letter, you spell Aur, Tif, Auret. Aur means light, which is the light of God, which ascends up your spine, your Vav, to your brain. Aleph is the wind or breath, the prana of the Arkanum One, the magician, which when husband and wife are united, they're controlling their breath and, ra- and pronouncing sacred mantras in the sexual act and raising the fire up the spine, the Vav, to their head, which is Rosh, Aur. That's how you make light. In the Arabic, the, the word for light is Nur. So it's similar. You have the Vav as well as Resh. The first letter in Nur is ant, the letter Nun. The Nun is the sperm or ovum in which the fire is, originates which relates again to this uh, four worlds of Kabbalah. Because in the world of Atiluth, we can represent this physically, this dynamic, like the sperm or ovum of a man and woman. There are the blueprints or archetypes that can give birth to a full human being, physically. And then through the sexual act, Bria, the sperm and ovum unite in order to give formation, Yetzirah, to the child. So the child is gestated in the world of formation, Yetzirah, physically speaking. But psychologically, there's the same principle there. Because when you're giving birth to the soul, giving formation to the soul, you're creating a solar, uh, you could say, solar vital body, solar astral body, solar mental body, relating with Yasod, Hod, Netzach. You're doing it after your Vav, your willpower, and the sexual act itself. And then uh, in relation to our analogy, when a child is fully manifest in the physical plane, when they uh, give their first breath, they are in the world of Asya, world of matter and action. So spiritually speaking, this is something profound. Because in the world of Atsiluth, we have the, all the principles and archetypes of God within the 22 Hebrew letters themselves. Men- mentioned in the first verse of Genesis, relating to the Hebrew letters Aleph, Tav. Or in Greek, Alpha, Omega. As Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. And when we create out through alchemy, we work with the spinal column in the world of Bria, Tifereth, specifically, so that the solar bodies are gestated in the world of formation. And we learn to walk on our two feet in this world of matter and action, Malkut, Asya. We also show that we have seven spinal medullas to work with, seven vavs represented by the menorah, which we light on Hanukkah. Well, we could say that uh, there's a lot of other correlations we can draw, but uh, one of my favorites is that the letter Aleph 
it relates to Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because it has three yods, three points that manifest the three forces. In the world of Bria, which is the sexual act itself, is fire, shin, which also has three yods, because we see chesed, geburah, tipereth, each constitute a wick on the Hebrew letter shin, which we'll talk about in our Karam 21. And then yetzirah relates to the water, because through the waters of life is how the solar bodies are formed. Asiya is the earth, as we know. But one thing I'd like to point out is the menorah, precisely because it relates, again, to the Arcanum 21, the Hebrew letter Shin. There are seven vabs, seven spinal medullas. We must raise the fire up and within. We must raise the sacred fire of sex from Malkut through Yasod, the, the spinal medulla, respectively. The spinal medulla of Hod, Netzach, Tifereth, Geburah, Chesed. Seven major initiations, we can say. Seven flames, which are light lit in our menorah, which is represented in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. I was in the spirit in the Lord's day and heard behind me, meaning through the letter Vav, the spinal medulla, a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, Aleph and Tav. And what you see, write in a book, and said it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia. Many people translate it as Asia, but in Kabbalah it's Asia, the world of matter and action. And I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle, meaning the control one's sexual organs through chastity. And that uh, his head and his hairs were white like wool with wisdom, as white as snow, meaning chastity, purity. And his eyes were as a flame of fire, the sign of the infinite inflamed through the sexual power of the Holy Ghost. And his feet were like unto fine brass, reminding us of the serpent of brass of Moses. And as they burned in a furnace of, ma of a matrimony, of alchemy, and his voice as the sound of many waters, the akasha, relating with dat, the heavenly waters above, the higher dimensions, within the atmosphere of any planet. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shining in his strength. This seven golden candlesticks relates to the menorah. Minah means sex. Aur means light. Minorah is the light of sex, which you relate sometimes seven, or you also can say nine, because nine relates to the yesod, alchemy. But seven relates to the seven bodies, which we have to raise up the spine, or the seven... <laughs> Spinal column of the seven bodies. They can re they can represent the chakras too, because but also represent the seven bodies. We have we have to raise the fire up, so there are seven chakras in each of the seven bodies. But when you light the menorah, it's because you're raising the energy. This is, that's how you celebrate Hanukkah, which is a rededication of the Temple of Jerusalem, which was during the Maccabean Revolt, after the desecration of the Temple by the Syrians. And all of us, psychologically speaking, our house has been desecrated. So I talked to you in the Hebrew letter Bet, how our heart, our mind, our body is polluted with desire, with defects. And in that lecture, I gave an experience about how I was going to, in the astral plane, I was going to bring my, what appeared as my physical mother into the house. But there was all this rioting and chaos and children fighting and adolescents drinking and getting drunk and doing drugs in this big mosh pit in this house. And I said, I'm not bringing my mother in this house. 
I woke up from my meditation and I, and I realized that Beth was my own mind. And I wanted to bring my Divine Mother into that. And I realized I can't because I have so many egos inside that I have to kill. So as a Beth relates to our house, our psychological house, and the temple is the same thing. So all of us, all of our, all of our temples, our bodies have been polluted, desecrated. And so we have to relight the menorah symbolically or maybe even psychologically, especially. So you also see that this menorah has six branches and uh, the seventh is the center, representing the being, the innermost. Seven initiations, we could say. So I quoted for you Paul of Tarsus when he said, flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. He elaborates here. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? And you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So keep the body, the house, bet, holy. Which you can relate to the Shabbat, the Sabbath. Bet is the house of our body, our psyche. Shin is fire. Shabbat is really the fire that you carry in your body. You got to keep it holy. Keep it chaste. Don't be a fornicator. Don't waste the energy anymore, but save it because that's how you purify your and light your menorah so that you have light like the Christmas tree. And so this also relates to Bereshit, the menorah itself, because you're, you're creating through the spinal column. The word Bereshit is Bet, Resh, Aleph, Shin, Yod, Tav. Six letters, or count them six, you create through love. But then the following letters after Bereshit are six in total. So again, you have the number 12, alchemy. And then I highlighted for you the letter Vav in this verse because you have this interesting phrase, Bereshit bara Elohim, at hashamayim. So Elohim created the heavens and the earth, haretz. Vav, ve'at, alef, tav are the 22 Hebrew letters of Kabbalah synthesized, Alpha Omega, as the book of Revelation teaches. So all the principles of God, Aleph Tav, are manifested in your spine, in your body, your, your earth, Haaretz, when you're working with that power in your spine specifically. I'd like to read a quote for you relating to the sexual teachings especially from the book of Zohar, one of my favorite scriptures. So this is from the first volume, from Pritzker especially, the English translation which talk about the mysteries of Bereshit, commentary of alchemy, which explains Arcanum 6 very well. Rabbi Yudai said, What is Bereshit? With wisdom. This is the wisdom on which the world stands, through which one enters hidden high mysteries. Here were engraved six vast supernal dimensions from which everything emerges, from which issued six springs and streams, flowing into the immense ocean. So what is those six dimensions related to the menorah, the six branches, and the, coming from the center, center column, which is the ocean of divine light. And so this is Bereshit, the key, the wisdom on which the world stands, through Yesod, through alchemy. So this is Bereshit. You can separate Bereshit to be Bet, Resh, Aleph, and Shin Yod Tav. 
you can split the words in half from in the very center between uh, Aleph and Shin. That literally means created six. The number six is what creates the lovers. So created six, created from here. Who created them? The unmentioned, the hidden one, the hidden unknown. Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Yose were walking on the way. As they reached the site of a certain field, which I will state in parentheses is Shadeh in Hebrew, meaning the field. And we talked abundantly about how the field, Shadeh, is where the most subtle creature that exists thrives, which is the serpent. So Shadeh relates to Shaddai, the almighty power of God, which is sexuality. And as they reached the site of a certain field, Rabbi Chia and Rabbi Yose said to Rabbi Yose, What do you have said? Bara, sheet, is certainly true. For there are six supernal days in the Torah, not more, and the others are concealed. So the six days of Genesis are manifest. The seventh is the day the Lord rests, which we'll talk about. Meaning those initiations, of when you reach those heights, those, those really that type of development is hidden from oneself, concealed until one reaches that point. But in the secrets of creation, we have discovered this. The Holy One, the Holy Hidden One, Engraved and engraving in the innards of a recess, punctuated by a thrust point. This is very interesting. He engraved that engraving, hiding it away, like one who locks up everything under a single key, who locks everything under or within a single palace. So an engraving in the innards of a recess is literally the, the, the uterus of a woman in which the thrust, the, the phallus enters. So that is how you engrave on stone, yesod, the temple, you create stones for your God to build his pillars, his temple. So this is the key, a single key, which locks everything within a single palace. And if you have the experience in the astral plane, entering into a palace or seeing a palace or a temple is a, about entering into initiation, where they're inviting you to enter their temples, their, the White Lodge. So although everything is hidden away within that palace, the essence of everything lies in that key, which closes and opens. So what is that key that closes the doors to all mysteries and also opens the doors to all mysteries? It's sexuality, chastity, or fornication. If you are chaste, you open the doors of Eden. If you, close the, if you use that key in the wrong way, then you close the doors for yourself. Within that palace lie hidden treasures, one greater than the other. Within that palace stand gates built cryptically, 50 of them. So 50 relates to Archonum 5, the pentagram, the human being. So the perfect man or woman made into the image of God. Carved into four sides, there were 49. One gate has no side. So 49, it relates to, according to Samael and Vior, the 49 levels of the subconsciousness, the unconsciousness, the infraconsciousness. There are seven levels related to each of the seven bodies, making a total of 49 levels of the mind, in which if we meditate deeply and silence each aspect of the mind and those 49 levels, we can enter into samadhi, ecstasy, and experience really the absolute and the higher dimensions themselves. So in those gates is one lock. I'm sorry. Uh, no one knows whether it is above or below. It is shut. So one gate has no side. No one knows whether it is above or below. It is shut. So in those gates, one lock and one precise place for inserting the key, marked only by the impress of the key, known only to the key. So that key is sexual magic, alchemy. And in the internal planes, I remember, again, relating to that experience in Egypt. When I left that temple, 
I was in the sands of uh, the, the lands of Egypt, the sands, and suddenly I saw a key leave the temple. It was dancing around, was going off to the distance, and I knew intuitively I had to grab it. And all of a sudden, this jester came out, pulled the key up. He was dressed all in black. He had a rose pinned on his chest, and he, he was all, his face was hidden, but he was laughing and mocking me. And I, and I was like, what the hell is this? I, wanna, I want the key. And he kept dangling it in front of me. There were a group of black magicians around him, all with bald heads, because to be bald in the internal planes is to be for, uh, fornicator. Not physically, but psychologically. Uh-oh. To be bald means to be a fornicator. And so I, I meditated in the experience, and I realized that was my inner Lucifer, meaning he was all black, meaning he's evil. And I made him evil, but through him is how virtue, the rose, is born. And he was dangling the keys. And you want to be in alchemy, you got to overcome these egos that you have. So he was dangling it in front of me. So I read this verse from the Zohar, and I'm, this is... Very deep. So, concerning this mystery, it is written, Bereshit bara Elohim. In the beginning, God created. Bereshit is the key in closing all, closing and opening. Six gates are contained in that key that closes and opens. Because through the path of the lovers are kind of six, it's how you either open the doors of mysteries to yourself or you close it. So when it closes those gates and closing them within itself, then indeed, Bereshit, a revealed word, Combined with a concealed word. So, bara, created, is always concealed, closing, not opening. So, bara, to create, is an interesting acrostic too. So, what we create, when we create the solar bodies, we don't see them physically. But in the internal planes, you can see the creation of these vehicles in yourself. But that's a mystery that's hidden to the physical senses. So, this mystery, you work with that key, it seems like the doors are closed, but you can see your progress in the internal planes. So Rabbi Yosei said, Certainly so. I, I heard the holy lamp, Simeon ben Yochai, say it so, that bara is a concealed word, not closing, not opening. As long as the world was locked within the word bara, it, did, it was not, did not exist. Enveloping everything was tohu, chaos. So the, the scriptures state, the world was uh, formless and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. That darkness is your psyche, in which the spirit, the Ruach Elohim, the inner being, has to float above to create spiritually. So we are formless and void. We sit to meditate. We see the mind is all over the place. There's no coherence there. So that's tohu vebohu, the chaos, void and formless. And as long as tohu reigned, the world was not, did not exist, meaning our spiritual world. When did that key open gates? When was it fit to be fruitful to generate offspring? When Abraham arrived. As is written, these are the generations of heaven and earth. In Hebrew it says, Behi Baram, which is, as it's written, is a acrostic. And as we have learned, Be Avraham is Abraham, by Abraham. We talked about in the Hebrew letter He, how the spirit becomes an initiate. When, you become an initi- when the being becomes an initiate, you add the letter He to Abram becomes Abraham. And so Abraham is the spirit who learns to control the sexual waters of Genesis. So whereas everything was concealed on the word bara, now the letters were transposed and rendered fruitful, meaning those energies can manifest through the spiritual work that we're performing. A pillar emerged, generating offspring. Ever, Aleph, Bet, Resh, or Aleph, Bet, Resh. So Bet and Bet, just difference in pronunciation, the same letter. So, aver means organ, sexual organ, holy foundation on which the world stands. 
So a pillar emerged, the pillar of equilibrium in this tree of life, which is founded upon Yasod. So that key relates to Bereshit, and Bereshit, when you create sexually in alchemy, is to the spirit, Abraham. So by Abraham is how these generations of the tree of life are made, through your spiritual work, your innermost spirit working upon those waters. And that is how you give birth to Abara, can also be read as um, Aleph Bet Resh. So Bara, can be, the letters are switched around and you spell sexual organ, Aver. The foundation of our temple. So the six days of Genesis hide many mysteries for us, which we'll be giving courses in the future about this. But uh, I just want to highlight a few points: is that in the first gen- day of Genesis relates to the first initiation of fire. Let there be light, and there was light. For darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the ruach Elohim has said, the Spirit hovered upon the face of the waters in order to give birth to the uh, sacred fires of Malkut raising the energies of Adonai or Adoniah. Adonai Haretz is the sacred name of God and Malkut. So you raise that power by working with your Abraham, your inner spirit. The second day of Genesis, we have divide the waters from the waters. So you create the, you could say, the body of liberation, the solar vital body, precisely through dividing the superior ethers of the, of the vital body itself. And we'll talk about the four heathers in a later lecture. The third day of Genesis says, Let the dry land appear, and let the vegetation sprout forth. Relating to the dry land is Hod, the astral body. Something tangible that you can experience when you create that vehicle for yourself. The fourth day of Genesis, let there be lights in the firmament. Merot. Relating to Natsak, the mind. Tifereth, relating to the fifth day of Genesis, let swarms of living creatures appear. And the great sea beasts, the Tanim, Taninim, which are the whales, the great monsters of the deep, the serpents of the ocean, which can't be literally translated. Some people it's translated as whale, but it's Taninim in Hebrew. You had the word Levi before it. To be a priest of the tribe of Levi, you spell Levi Tanim, which is Leviathan. You become a Leviathan, a master of the fifth initiation of fire. In the sixth day of Genesis, you have, let us make Adam in our image. This is the man of the sixth day. Male, female, he created them. Jehovah Elohim created the perfect human, or better said, the human being at that level. So the sixth sephiroth from the top of the tree of life is Tifereth. But if you count the sixth sephiroth from the bottom of the tree of life, you have Geburah. And we've explained previously how Tifereth is the human soul. Geburah is the divine soul. The divine soul is pure, never enters into uh, defilement. It's holy is our inner bride. If we're men, we, our inner Geburah is a, is a woman. If we're female, then the inner Geburah is a man. But we stay in certain legends that we have Arthur, the king, Chesed. We have Guinevere, Geburah, and we have Lancelot, the knight, Tifereth. So the lovers is precisely these two Sephiroth, how husband and wife, or we could say Tifereth and Geburah, need to unite. So on the sixth day of Genesis, a master who re- who's reached that level has incarnated the divine soul and the human soul, but must learn to uh, go higher. Precisely because in each of the seven days of Genesis, or better said, each of the six days of Genesis, the Lord said, and it was good, or better, except for the exception of the second day of Genesis, but relating to Yasod. But um, with Malkut, he says, there was a day and there was a night. 
And the Lord said, "The Lord said, there was this was this was a day and there was a night. There was night, a day and a night for Yasod, a day and a night for Hod, a day and a night for Netzach, Tiferet, and Geburah." Meaning, there's still ego there. The word for in Hebrew for night is Laila, which is where we get the Laila, the temptress, who tempts Samson and makes him give away his secret of chastity, which they cut his hair, his purity. As I mentioned to you, black magicians are bald in the internal planes. They can symbolize that. To have long hair is symbolically represents chastity in ancient cultures. So to lose one's hair is to become a fornicator. So he, lo- he gave away his secret. And so he became weak. And the Philistines blinded him, meaning he lost his power spiritually. So if you enter that height, I mean, don't give away your secret to Delilah, your lust, Delilit, the doorway, Dalet into Delilah, the night, the abyss, the infernal dimensions. So there is a day and a night for each of these generations up to the sixth sephirah from the bottom. The seventh, there is no night. It says the day God rested. It is perfect day, meaning the ego is fully eliminated. There's no imperfection there. So they reach that height is a very arduous work. But we do it through our Arcanum 6, working with the spinal column. And one final thing I'll mention uh, in relation to the mysteries of Bet. Remember that David married Bathsheba. Bet means house. Sheba means seven. We have seven houses, seven lights of the menorah at the bottom of the tree of life, leading from Malkut to Chesed. So Sheba means seven. So David marries Bathsheba, meaning the house of the seven, or the seven houses. So in order to become a king, we have to marry each of those sephiroth and make them purified, meaning keep your Shabbat, your body, holy. So remember that Temptation is fire, and triumph over temptation is light. As we find in the Hebrew letter Tifereth, you have the letter Vav, your willpower. Between Aleph and Resh, you have Aor, light. And remember that the Lord said, Yehi Vaor, Vayehi Aor. Let there be light, and there was light. Yehi Aor, we pronounce those mantras, and then through a Vav, and there was light. Va Yehi Aor. So the spinal column is where you carry your light inside. Some final comments is that uh, from some practical measures, you can make magical circles of protection using the Seal of Solomon, as you see here. So you want to protect yourself from lustful egos and elements, demons, black magicians, and the astral plane. You invoke your being, say, my God, my innermost, please command my elemental advocate to seal my bedroom, my home, in a circle of fire in order to protect me from sorcery. So you do the mantras, Helion, Melion, Tetra, Grammaton. You seal yourself three times. You can create a space, very small, in which you can trace the seal of Solomon. And that seal will guard you from any negative influence from the outside. So the seal of Solomon is exceptionally powerful for that. So one thing I'll mention is that when you're working with the seal of Solomon, you can seal your homes, but also you can create medallions and rings to wear in order to protect yourself to defend yourself against witchcraft, which you can consecrate and bless through uh, the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, Tetra Grammaton. Um, before I started coming to this class, I was getting information about, it was similar as far as the Kundalini and about uh, the Freemasonry. And basically it was saying that the, the low part is low-based consciousness 
and never really got into the sexual alchemy in it, but it basically talked about natural law, and it talked about how law-based consciousness is, is about do not kill, do not steal, right. and do it. But it never really delved into this aspect of it, because it really just say, don't harm others. Do as you want, but don't harm others. Right. And I'm wondering whether this information, I'm, I mean, I, I fully agree with the information you're giving me, but was this information given to me in deception, or was it, is there, or is there part truth to that, where it's just like, because if you think about it logically, and most people do think about it logically, it's like, you know, as long as you're not killing others, as long as you're not stealing from others, and as long as you're not, is it do not kill, do not steal, and then uh, I forgot what the other one was, but it was, it was, it was, it was very, um, just logical, as long as you're not harming others, you can partake in, you know, uh, you know, in fornication or whatever, and it was, but now I, I'm starting to see the lights as far as agree with what you're saying, but was the information given to me just where they didn't know, or was it, well, I'm going to go, well, well, people who ignored the, the sexual aspect of uh, Genesis, especially, one thing can stem from ignorance, uh-huh. not knowing it, simply. They weren't taught, right. and they didn't practice it. Another thing can be uh, people who intentionally lie, but that's uh, only something you can judge. Right. You know? And I'm going to give a lecture on uh, types of spiritual schools at one point, which talk about how to discriminate between what types of schools there are, that one that create the soul, some that feed desire, some that are working with initiation specifically. So there's different teachings. And so some schools are, can for, uh, serve as a kindergarten, as a, a stepping stone to working more profoundly with one's being. So I wouldn't say anything, all, you know, certain things are bad, you know, but you have to ju- you, only you can judge listening to those type of things. But, it, uh, just, it just seemed like the focus was primarily on low-based consciousness and, and rising above that consciousness by, I mean, basically it was just like treat others as you want to be treated, and that's the ultimate, you know, that's in every esoteric religion, basically. Yeah, and that's, so, and we need, we need that, but the thing is, like the masters teach, you know, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, and that you are not of your own. So we have to give that, we have that fire, but we have to return it to God. But so this teaching hasn't been made open until recently. So and, and basically, by not partake by um, partaking in, in you know uh, whether it be uh, fornication all that that creates the other defects within yourself, which will also create you know you know problems with other people in life. Right, because uh, the sins you know there's different sins. The sins against the Holy Ghost, the heart can be forgiven, but sins against sex, the Holy Spirit. The sins against the Son are not forgiven, are forgiven, but the sins against the Holy Ghost are not. So one last thing. So obviously lust is, you know, that's we know what that is. But how do how do you know, as far as like materialism, how do you know what what's the what's that medium? What's the the, the line drawn? Well, you know, take care of your necessities, but uh, don't be attached. You know, plow the earth like a farmer. You know, do your job. Do your your duties, but don't get your hands dirty by it. That's the tricky part. So, psychological teaching. So you hear the light in your spinal column? Yes. Well, it's, it's in the column or is it at the bottom where the Kundalini is? It's, 
the, yeah, the Kundalini is the light, which you got to raise. Right. So when you raise that fire, then it, you have light. You're, of course, you got to raise it. And that's how you generate light. So spark, you can get, generate sparks through meditation practices as a single person, but when you're married, that fire is fully developed. Who did, who did be, before Samuel and Laura, who, who did all these translations and, and figured out all these allegories? Or was it done through meditation? Well, all those masters like Moses, Muhammad, Buddha, they knew the teaching, but they talked cryptically. Yeah, it was all allegory. So it, it's almost like a puzzle. And so that puzzle wasn't solved by many people for a long time. Uh, but then uh, divinity had to send a prophet down to teach it. And so where I'm getting this knowledge is from Salvador Vior. And I personally know him, so I trust him because I work with him in the astral plane. But uh, you know, this is symbolism that you, know, you can only interpret if you work with the fires in your vav. Because remember that the word vav can also signify to hear, to hear the word. So in order to read those scriptures and understand them, you got to work in the fire in you so that when you astral project and have experiences, you can interpret what's going on here. Otherwise, you have people who are making these interpretations that are based on physical things or metaphysical concepts, right. but not intuition when you experience it. So it's very different, sure. very different science. Is this being taught throughout the United States in the big cities? Or? There are many Gnostic esoteric groups who are teaching this. But... Uh, yeah, so there's many, we have many schools. There's many uh, movements and groups out there. In relation to what you said about it being kept secret and all that, I read in some of the esoteric literature that so-and-so at this level was the one they said, the unfortunate were under oath. They intimated in the writings were under oath before. Sure, there, there was more. They were all through the centuries, up until roughly centuries. It's been kept. All these things are for measurement. He knew it, though. But he, he's a, Manly P. Hall is an issue. He's a, good, he's a great writer, too. You can learn a lot from him. But no, but he never delved into this. Yeah, exactly. It's because he wasn't a prophet. You know what's funny is, like, I was told, if anyone watched Seinfeld, a lot of the uh, the guy that wrote Seinfeld, Larry David, was definitely an occultist and knew about this because some of these episodes in Seinfeld were about this. So there's tricklings of certain uh, imitations of principles there. Right. Even, like, J.R. Tolkien uh, borrowed many myths, and he imitated very well certain teachings. But uh, as he said of himself, people think there's a hidden meaning to my books, Lord of the Rings. I just wrote it. At, I just wanted to write about a young little guy who goes on a big journey and entertains people. Good stories, but not from masters like Moses. So I invite you to stay uh, a little bit after. We're going to listen to the first movement of Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony, which precisely speaks about the law of Arcanum Six, the law of indecision, in which the disciple, the soul, must learn to fight the beast, the dragon, in order to conquer one's maiden. But of course you see from Tchaikovsky's piece that this has a very dismal ending. Uh, Tchaikovsky was going through a specific ordeal which he was failing at, conquering his lust and his mind. So you're going to hear in this piece a little bit of the beauty of the soul, the lovers, Tifereth and Geburah. But then you also will see how the soul needs to fight very hard to regain what he has lost.
So you can hear in that music the principles of Arcanum 6, in which the human soul has to battle the monster, which is desire. And uh, after that loud boom comes the battle. So before that is the ecstasy of the soul of Tiferet united with Geburah, the divine soul, and the harmony and love that the soul experiences. But then he has to descend down into Klipot and face all of the evilness that he carries in his psyche, in his mind, in his heart. And of course, that's the battle of the dragon. But you see that in Tchaikovsky was composing this for initiates who were failing certain ordeals. Because Tchaikovsky himself was going through certain battles with his own lust in his mind that he couldn't comprehend at that time. And so he was very uh, distraught, as you can hear in the music. If the, when the dragon takes over, you hear the, the crescendo of music descending down into a low, into this catastrophic fall. So every initiate has to face that problem, fighting with lust and needing to struggle with those elements. But there's always hope, of course. You hear the music, the ecstasy that Tchaikovsky composed, his love for his uh, Geburah, divine soul, his, his divine counterpart. And you can listen to the rest of that symphony and really analyze you know, what he's teaching there. But it's very serious. You know, that symphony is very, uh, obviously has a dark ending because it's the first symphony of, in its time and which ends at a low note. It doesn't have this uh, climactic end at the end of the fourth movement. But uh, Beethoven depicts in his sixth symphony how to overcome the ordeals, the storms of the mind, in order to see the rainbow of promise, Keshet and Kabbalah. This is uh, the rainbow after long storms that Nietzsche speaks about, the highest hope towards the Superman. Didn't somebody say the prayers were something you read from Arabs or something like that? Yeah. I'm not sure about, I mean, I uh, haven't heard about Sagittarius, but yeah, it is an arrow. I mean, from Malkut to Keter. But you reach that point by clearing the winds, the mind, Netzach, so that you can, with your willpower, see the higher dimensions. So in order to overcome the beast, work with your vav. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.